Chris Ruano works in the Southern California region as a captain where he is dedicated to the tactical approach to firefighting and doing what it takes to be physically capable to do the job. Being a firefighter in Southern California offers a dynamic challenge of not only being well-versed in structural firefighting, but there is a big emphasis on and a need for wildland firefighting tactics and strategy. With seasonal fire threats that demand firefighters to have dynamic resiliency when it comes to physical performance, Chris offers some insight as to how we can individually approach answering the call. In today's episode, I talk with Chris about what drives him, his approach to physical fitness, how he structures his workouts, and his no-excuses perspective to firefighting and the dynamic challenges that lie therein. Without any further delay, here's my conversation with Chris Ruano. Mr. Chris Ruano, thanks for coming on the show, my man. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Ryan. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, I kind of, we got in contact because I'm actually on Instagram. I'm always hunting for like uh, new innovative things going on out there in the fire service and, and fire service leaders, um, kind of uh, like-minded, you know, working with fitness and making sure their mind stays sharp and uh, your, your site popped up. So that was pretty awesome. Um, your Instagram, your podcast, you've got social media going on. It's called uh, Prep and Defend. So would you give us kind of like an introduction to that and, and what that's all about and the mission of the movement? Sure, definitely. And as you said, my name is Chris Ruano and I, um, I have a Prep and Defend podcast and uh, training resources. And so Prep and Defend, it's a wildland term, it has to do with structure protection. But, uh, you know, of course, just, I mean, it seemed fitting that it was, you know, you were prepping, you know, physical preparation, the fitness is, uh, something that's a passion of mine. And of course the wildland. So using a wildland term, just, uh, prep and defend getting ready, you know, for, for our job really is, is what I'm all about. And, um, as far as that job, I'm a, uh, 20 year firefighter for, well, fire captain now for a large municipal agency in Southern California. Uh, my background started in wildland. I was on a hotshot crew for a few years or a few seasons. And then even on my agency, I did my first 10 years in the station doing paramedic truck company hazmat kind of doing all the things in the department. And then when I promoted to engineer, I went to, we have a fire camp division. I was able to run wildland fire crews. So I did that for nine years, almost 10. And I ran inmate fire crews for a while. And then I moved on to our paid hand crews that we have. So really uh, running a lot of those, um, you know, or leading those, those teams that I had, you know, teams of firefighters, a lot different than the, than the fire station dynamic, but I had done both. And I personally really enjoyed being outdoors. I loved the physically demanding, you know, aspect of the wildland kind of stuff as well. Just kind of, we're outside a little bit longer and different kind of working hours, but I just really loved it. And so the wildland is kind of where I kind of hung out and I still, you know, kind of, that's still my passion. I'm right now in the fire station in a heavy industrial area, but, uh, you know, I'm looking to get back to the wildland. So, and what prep and defend is, is as, as I was working and leading, um, teams of paid crew members there, you know, large teams are anywhere from, you know, 20 down to maybe, you know, 12 on duty on a given day. And then myself being the crew supervisor or foreman is what it was called. 
Um, you know, we were, they were hardcore on PT, you know, that was something that attracted me about going to those places and working with those guys. I knew they got after it. They were really big into CrossFit at the time and we would get, get after it in training. And these guys were hard chargers. And I just really enjoyed that and look forward to, to being a part of that. So I got to do that for a lot of years. And then in part of being, um, involved with academies, uh, training, training for that and training academies being cadre, um, the first time I started programming and doing some of the stuff with prep and defend was, um, programming for Academy preparation. I was seeing a lot of people that were failing the Academy or wildland Academy, which had to do with a lot of hikes, running tool swinging. And, you know, it was just, well, if somebody just would, it's not a big secret. This is how far you need to run. This is how much weight you need to carry. This is how long you got to hike for. This is the calisthenic routine of an Academy. So that was the first thing I had kind of put out there to help people that were going into that kind of a fire, fire academy. And then as I became more interested, I studied more about strength and conditioning and about what we were doing at our own facility, um, in our own training program, and just kind of started looking at ways to improve and maximize, you know, our athletic potential there at work. So, so that's really what I'm all about is, and prep and defend is, it's just a, it's a mentoring, teaching and training of tactical athletes so that we can be, you know, strong and capable and operating at a high level, um, as we're working as our teams. And, uh, that that's, uh, pretty much an intro of what I've been up to and, and what I'm kind of about. Right on, man. Um, yeah, tactical athletes. I like that you use that term because I mean, ultimately that's what we are. We're, we're professional athletes. I mean, we're, we're, we're called into extreme situations that are extremely physical and that's kind of the the most basic barrier to entry into the fire service can you physically perform can you physically meet the demands that this job puts on you and so i know that um like in the urban setting it's very different than the wildland setting and you mentioned that you did nine about 10 years in the wildland side but i know in your location the southern california region wildland fires are like rampant every year. And so I was wondering, do you, do you kind of dip back and forth into each one of those? So, or is it just kind of like as the demand calls? Right. And I would say that any, any, any agency out West in California, like you had mentioned with the wildfires, we have large statewide mutual aid agreements. And in the event of large fires, everybody's any department, no matter how small you are, doesn't matter how big you are, you're going to be sending resources, um, you know, type one engine companies to help structure protection on these wildland fires and certain agencies for sure. United States forest service, they're known for their hotshot crews. And in California, there's Cal fire. They have, they, they had almost all the inmate crews, but with the problems with holding any inmate populations with COVID and everything else, they pretty much let everybody go. So there's no, right. no more inmates. Yeah. So Cal fire now has a lot of paid crews. Um, whereas before they had a few and then, um, the agency that I work for, we run the paid crews for Cal fire fire, um, within our County. So I had that incredible opportunity to, to have my dream job of being a firefighter on a municipal agency, the department that I really wanted to work for but I still got to do that wildland firefighting and like, and to answer your question, when I'm a part of our air and wildland division and running the camp crews, that's year round. Uh, so, you know, kind of 
cut a fat hog for sure. For nine years, I didn't run a medical call or anything like that. I just was dedicated solely to the year round training preparation and running of wildland fire crews. And then in the wintertime, we just, we have like unstop, you know, nonstop projects that we're working on, whether it's fuel management, mitigation, training, uh, you know, construction projects and anything that you can get done with a, you know, 10 to 15 person crew. And, you know, we're just manpower for, for the state and for the, for the county or the agency. So, so that, that would be year round. And then, in a, um, so it doesn't really go back and forth, but I will say that we have a lot of people um, and that, and not just our agency, but any that, that they're qualified in a lot of wildland. Um, it's called a red card. You know, you get qualified to whether you're a crew supervisor, a division supervisor, you know, a firing boss, a dozer boss, all these qualifications where even though you're working for a municipal agency, you can get called in the summertime to go out and do that. And there are tons of anybody pretty much right now that's qualified is gone. Like they're all just on rotation, just, just going out. So just cause you work for a city fire department, you're definitely in the summertime going to be involved in the wildland firefighting arena. True. That's for sure. Yeah. We have, um, we have a wildland division within my organization and like you can choose to be on that, uh, on that team or not. But even at the same time, I think uh, we have to be, we have to have basic wildland firefighting knowledge because we do have like an urban interface. And so when it comes down to it, if something goes on like a lightning strike or whatever it is uh, in the wildland area, then we have to be the responder to that area. So we kind of have to be a jack of all trades in that. And uh, the area that I'm in, we like 85, 90% of what we do is medical. And then, uh, you know, we have that percentage of fires and then um, the wildland interface is, is pretty significant depending on what station you're at. So it is interesting because we don't require our full-time guys to be red carded, uh, but we do require all the people on the wildland team for obvious reasons, because we'll send out like type two, type three, you know, type six trucks, all of that. Um, so that's interesting, man. And you talked about how like uh, during the, the winter months, you do like a fuel mitigation, things like that. And you work directly with the community on that or how does that work? Well, there's certain areas of responsibility. You know, there's several different work locations and the ones that are in your vicinity, you typically have responsibility to um, do fuel reduction, whether it's, uh, you know, county or state campgrounds, mostly gotcha. it starts with public lands that we are responsible for reducing the hazards in. And then, you know, anything else that comes up, we have a storm that comes through and there's, uh, you know, trees blocking roads and in neighborhoods, we can go in there quickly and remove that stuff. And just to give people, uh, egress and access to their neighborhoods. Um, but most of the time it's, it's kind of the improving the stuff just up in the in the wildland areas where nobody really sees us a lot, especially if you're working with inmate crews, you're not going to be around populated areas, but right. the paid crews, they can go in anywhere, but it's typically just repairing maybe damage from the fires. You know, there's continual work that needs to be done to, to rehab that, to make sure we don't get a lot of erosion. So, and then of course the training, um, as I mentioned, I was part of training cadre. We hire a lot of people year round and there's that will take you away from your normal duties for a month at a time to do uh, for our wildland folks. It's a, it's a, our, we, we hire our hand crew uh, people in there. It's a month, one month long Academy. So you're committed to that. And it, it makes a year go by pretty quick, but it's just over and over. That's the cycle, right? We're, we're training hard, getting our crews dialed in and ready to go for the summer. And then summertime, you're just 
you know, whenever they call you to go to something or of course the initial action stuff that pops up. Yeah. And we, we kind of have what we call fire season here and I'm sure it's, it's similar where you are, um, where things are just more readily, uh, primed to burn and primed to have that, that incident run rampant. Like the, the fires are more likely, um, I had a student in my last online ignited recruit Academy and she was very interested in the wildland side of things. Now, like I said, I'm certified wildland and I've been on a few like urban interface wildland incidents, but I've never been sent out on an incident for like two weeks at a time or whatever. Um, talk to, talk to us a little bit about what the, what, what it means by fire season. And like, I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit like the winter, but how does that cycle operate you talked about the cycle of it all how does that what does that cycle look like right so out in uh you know california it's a you know mediterranean climate and our rainy season was really just february that's it so whatever rain that we would get in february is is pretty much set sets us up for the fire season there'll be some lingering storms you can get like an early rain or something that kind of lingers a little bit afterwards but i mean historically that that's our wet month is February. So, you know, as the grasses grow and cure and start to dry out, which would be around June. So around June, there's, there's all those annual grasses on all the hillsides and that, that being the main carrier of the fuel, those, those light flashy fuels, once they're dry, we have to wait for those to dry out and, and, and certain years, you know, maybe it's a month difference on, on when that actually occurs, but typically June, we're talking that's fire season, right? We're going to start to get some, some fires. And, and then that runs all the way through to the fall where we're at, uh, at the recording of this, we're in September and that is still fire season, but here in California, that transitions a little bit. We get our offshore dry winds, which come from the great basin. And uh, typically you'll hear them called the Santa Ana winds in Southern California. And that fire season, the Santa Ana season runs all the way to Christmas. Basically Uh, there's been, we've had really large fires here. Just, you know, we keep just outdoing ourselves in California as far as large fires and records, but just a few years back, the second largest fire in California history was in December out here. uh, The Thomas fire in Ventura and Santa Barbara County. So, um, those will carry, you know, all the way through to December. That's still our fire season really until we get those good rains that soak the fuels and wet it down to where it's not going to be easily ignited. Um, that, that would shut down fire season. So sometimes that occurs in, uh, you know, November, December, but oftentimes we still get Santa Ana's in January and until we get some rain in February. And as of late, we haven't been getting that, but but as you, as you had mentioned though, it's a cycle and, and that's every year. And so every year there's that cycle of the fire season. And, you know, that's kind of how I approach that same cycle. I, I applied the cycle of fire season to fitness programming is kind of something that I, you know, think that's unique about what I'm doing at prep and defend and, um, and applying that same fire season and getting you as an athlete ready and peaked out for summertime. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Um, that was a perfect segue because my next question, my next area that I want to talk about was all about the functional fitness and like the the idea of the fact that we are tactical athletes. I mean, especially when you were talking about wildland fire season, you do have the off season and we just can't afford to let our skills and our ability and all of that slack. And so talk to us a little bit about 
your, um, I guess it would be like your, your principal vision for how one should be training for that type of, for that type of, uh, performance, like seasonal performance. Absolutely. So Ryan, as I was saying that there's, there's that, there's that cyclical kind of, uh, trend to your year, you know, maybe when you're a brand new firefighter, you're trying to figure that out, but it doesn't take you that long to figure out, okay, this time of year, you know, we, we work on our swift water training, you know, this time of year, we're doing hydrants, we're doing fire prevention, you know, there's a cycle to your year and you kind of can get it down to what you can expect. And again, once when I was really kind of interested in dialing in some programming and, and really, instead of just participating in workouts, but trying to create something for our teams that, that we were, we were doing in the wildland. Um, you know, I, I kind of kept that in mind to try to, as you said, if we're a tactical athlete, what are we prepping for? If, if there's an athlete playing a sport, they have a, a time of their season that they need to be ready for the playoffs, right? You need to be peaked and that you have to be at your best at that point, or you're going to get eliminated. So if you were looking at preparing yourself to be ready for the summertime, and even if you're not on a wildland agency, for most firefighters, the summertime, of course, it's going to be hotter. You're going to be busier with vacations or just working more. Maybe you're not always going to be hungered down, you know, at your same place. You know, people like to get out and travel. So I'll talk about what I, what I found and what I developed and what I like to do and why. But I also want to mention that if you, if you know anybody that worked as a hotshot or that worked on hand crews, They'll typically talk about that time. And even in the military, anybody that was part of the, the teams that they were in, um, in the military serving or on, on higher level teams, you know, they look back on those days as the best shape that they were in, you know, and, and I know in the fire realm, a lot of the people that do crew work, they're talking about, man, I was in the best shape of my life. Of course they were younger, you know, typically, but they were part of a team and they had a program and they were all on the same page pushing each other. That's typically the way it goes down when you're a part of those teams. So when it comes to the, the training year round and, and being a tactical athlete, just started looking at, okay, what do we have to be? Because I also want to say there's tons of incredible athletes out there that are crushing it, working out at whatever, wherever they train, whatever programming they follow, whatever they're doing in their free time, but they are, they're beasts and they happen to be firefighters right? They go to work and they do that. But instead of just being, you know, really high functioning and happening to be a firefighter also, you know, when you work out a gym, what, what if you're actually trying to build athletes for our job and for our career for the long term? what would that look like? And, you know, this is my opinion and, and I don't poo poo any, any training thing that anybody does. If CrossFit's your jam, if, you know, whatever, if you're a power lifter or, you know, people like to do triathletes and stuff, but for, for, at the time when I was in charge of running the team, our teams and running PT for us, I had to look like we, we're not trying to go to the CrossFit games. That's not what we're there to do. I mean, it's cool if you're that caliber or an athlete, right. we are not, yeah. we are not going to run a triathlon or do a triathlon at work. That's not what we're there to do. That's not what we're, I'm, that's not really. So when it really comes down to what am I building my people for, or the, when I say my people, just the people that I work with, the people that I, I get to do physical fitness with we're supposed to be prepared to do the job. Right. And so, you know, strength being the highest priority when, when you know, I started looking at program, well, we have to be strong. We got to be strong so that we can move heavy loads over long distances. 
you know, in the fire station, you're geared out all the time. You're going to be carrying a load. You're not running around in a tank top or, you know, popping tops, wearing uh, no shirt with some shorts and, and, and doing, doing our thing right at that. When we're at work, we're in full gear. We're carrying a load. We're lifting heavy things and moving them. And then conditioning. I mentioned being a triathlete or something, but what we do need that aerobic conditioning to be able to work for a long period of time, but we also need to make sure that we can get that sprint work in. And when we're talking about tactical athletes, I've talked about firefighters, but think about for sure, it'd be a little bit different for a tactical athlete who's in the military or law enforcement. They're going to be really big on sprint work because that's what they do. They're, right. they're running from point to point very quickly to get, either get cover or to chase down a suspect or something. So they're going to need a little bit more sprint work. Um, but, but even us, there's times when you got to go now and you, you have to know what that feels like and be able to recover from that and then get back to work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at strength, looking at conditioning. And one, th- um, one th- thing that I really kind of latched onto and I really enjoyed that's unique to, to how I like to train too with all of our teams and crews and the programming that I do is I like a lot of strongman stuff as well. I really incorporated a lot of strongman stuff using sandbags. You know, if I had to pick one thing, it would be sandbag because we can make those on the cheap. We can get lots of them. Um, you know, they're, you, you can share them and, and all that kind of stuff. So I really like sandbag training. And what I mean by strong bag, strong man work is picking up something heavy and walking with it, uh, carrying it, you know, either on your shoulder and walking with it, picking it up and putting it down, picking, you know, those powerful kind of strong man movements. I like to do those with sandbags. You, you can use a lot of other implements, but sandbags, you can throw, you can drag, you can drop, and you're not going to break anything. Yeah. And then lastly was, you know, if you follow any type of actual workout program or programming, you know, there's also some kind of preparation work or accessory work for me. I had one hour to train in. And so I don't do a lot of foam rolling or mobility work. You know, I, I'll let people kind of pursue that on their own, but for the one hour session, I will mix in accessory movements. So if it's a squatting day, we're going to do warm up stuff. That's going to get us ready for squatting, or we're just going to be squatting without weight, but that's how I chose to use that time, you know, when we're doing a squatting day. So, so again, with the strength conditioning, that functional kind of strongman work and the accessory work taking all of those and putting them into a program that, um, that we can follow and do. And another thing that's unique to us as tactical athletes is again, we're not just an athlete who's training. Like I said, a lot of people know about CrossFit. So I'll use that as example, training to go to CrossFit games. You can crush two, three wads a day, do nothing but recover. You know, that's what you, that's your job really. But we have another job, right? And I found there was some of the training and programming that we were doing. That was, that was outstanding. It was, it was military came from the military stuff. Some of this, you know, it was marketed towards special ops people and it was good, but it was, when I looked at it, realistically, it was too much. Our folks weren't ready. Um, they were too sore. It was too much. And especially in the summertime when it's hot, like being ready to go, honestly, like we weren't probably ready to go. And that would, that would be my fault as the PT leader. Right. So balancing that out. And, um, so just building a program with those kind of tenants and those kind of concepts in mind. And I'm sure I'm not talking anything completely new to a lot of your listeners. I'm sure you talk training a lot, but, uh, what I've done that's unique is taking those and programming that year that we were talking about that cycle. So other than my Academy preparation work, and it sounds like you're involved with that as well, other than the Academy prep, you know, that's like a short term getting ready for Academy. And I, you know, 
program to mimic what they're going to be doing and make sure they're ready to go for that. But when, when you're just doing the job and, and so I've been doing this cycle for four years now. Um, you know, it took a while to build it. And then every year as I go through it, I tweak it a little bit more. So for me and a lot of the people I work out with 365 workouts is plenty for changing it up. You know, it's, yeah. it doesn't get too boring, even though I'm hitting the same thing next year. But yeah, what I do is, and what I recommend this, this is what I would recommend for anybody is these types of follow program. Number one, get a program. I don't care whose it is, but find your goals, know what your goals are, get a program that's going to get you there and stick with it, stick with it through the whole program. Don't just jump to something else. Give it time, do what you need to do to get the stimulus to get the gains that you're looking for. Right. But stick to it. And so what I recommend is paramount. Number one is strength. Well, when are we going to train strength? Is it going to be summertime for, for me? Probably not. Cause you're not going to be as consistent with your workouts. You're going to be going, your schedule is just a little more hectic. Kids are out of school. You're going to wildfires, going on vacation, whatever. So in the fall, we focus on raw strength. So that means a lot of powerlifting. That is, that is the focus we're doing deadlifts, back squats, and shoulder presses, you know, those, those powerlifting movements, that is the nucleus, but we still have the strong man. We still have the conditioning. We still leave time to the rest days, our days for us to go actually go work and do your job, go for hikes, go for runs. If you're in the station, get geared up. I program that as well. Like, you know, it's time to get in your gear and get some work. You know, you're not just going to be the gym all the time. So, but that's the raw strength focus for three months. And then right around new year's, build strength. And, and, and I want to mention too, that to stick with the program, you have to learn how to move, especially I would be training a lot of newer athletes. Some of our crew folks were only 18 years old and they've never lifted before. Some people maybe lifted it as part of their sports team. But if you're dealing with people that are inexperienced, you have to have some kind of a plan for teaching and mentoring and giving them time underneath a barbell to figure out how to move before they just start slapping a bunch of weight on. Right. So, right. Yeah. So I recommend it. And through all the barbell training that we do is percentage based so that everybody it's dialed in for everybody based, you know, you, you, at the beginning, you'll test to see how strong you are. And then for three months, you're working off those percentages. So it's different for every person. Right. Yeah. Um, and so raw strength in the winter and new year's right around that time, we're going to start working on power. So power, power development, we got some strength now, a little bit more powerful movements, still a ton of those functional, um, strongman kind of, if you would call them metcons or circuits, I, I incorporate a ton of, um, those, uh, strongman kind of circuits of just farmer carries and, and moving loads over a long period of time. Uh, and then, uh, come early summer, late spring, we're working on it. We're going to get ready for the summer. Now we're getting ready for that peaking at that fire season. So it's going to be strength endurance. We're still doing strength work. It's tapering off a little bit because we're going to go farther on our on our aerobic conditioning, right. To be conditioned and acclimated for the heat, to be able to work for long periods of time, especially on the wildland side. But this, I think this applies to everybody. And then, um, so that takes us to summer and in summer, what we do is, and, and this is what I've been doing as well. Like I said, for the last three years, and I love it is, the, uh, the summer is just one kettlebell bands, rubber bands and body weight. So it's really portable. And even I use a sandbag kettlebell when I travel a lot of times because I can take it with me, but you get a lot of great uh, strength and conditioning workouts. You can really work range of motion when you're not um, under a lot of weight. So it's kind of, 
it's a bit of a deload, which is kind of giving your body a break to in the summertime. Because again, if, if I'm planning on working out for my whole career, this is also an opportunity to change things up. And it's kind of nice. I like uh, at least some of these body weight skills that are still challenging. Like you can work on your one-legged squats and your muscle ups and, and other skills that are, that we put in there. But, um, and then about that time, you're kind of craving the barbell again. And like I said, we're right back into fall and now we're going big time on strength again. And so I've enjoyed it. It's not getting dull to me right now. And and then as people join and jump in, they, they kind of, it's new to them. But, um, if you're just, if you don't have to worry about the summer, you can go power longer, you can go strength, but, but, but the bottom line for everybody listening is that if you are any kind of tactical athlete, fire, police, military, or even if you just are a really active person in your everyday life, you're going to have to have a strength base. That means you're going to have to have a program to follow, lay down that strength, and then balance it out with your conditioning and, uh, you know, accessory work and all that. But that's kind of, I mean, I really went deep on a lot of that, but uh, no, it was good, man. That's really kind of the concept behind it. And, and then, uh, one more thing that that's really important is, as I said, specific for what we're doing is it's really important to me that the, that myself or the other people that are involved in the programming and making the workouts are actually doing the job on a daily basis to be able to get that feedback of, yeah, I did that workout with the the folks or the guys. And that, yeah, that, that one's not, it was either, that one's not enough. It was too much. And that's every year as we go through it, I, I'll treat the workouts, um, you know, either feedback from, you know, how I'm feeling on doing it or what I think, or, or learning new things, but we update it. But, uh, but it, but the important thing is that you have to be able to perform your job and whatever that job is long days outside, still getting the work done. So it is hard. You can't go like whole hog on strength because you still have to be able to work. Right. So, yeah. so it is it's a fine line. Like, yeah, you're trying to thread the needle of getting a really good stimulus, you know, to get the gains that you're looking for and have new people working out and challenge the experienced athletes and be able to perform the job day to day. So, um, yeah, that's the challenge right there. Cause, uh, you know, a lot of people are at different levels. Like you said, you have the experience levels of the, of the guys and girls who've, who've been doing it for a long time, but then you might have the newbie, the new, the new kid who just got hired on and who's just now learning how to do these lifts and you got to be able to adapt as a coach and a trainer. So that's awesome, man. Um, uh, touching on the, uh, the tactical athlete, I like the fact that like, that's really how you're seeing things. And I think a lot of people, like I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of people don't really see themselves as tactical athletes when it comes to the fire service. And I think we really start, we really need to start emphasizing that. And I feel like your programming, your approach is doing just that. So that's really awesome. Um, I've read a couple of books by Tim Grover and he's all about winning and his mindset is awesome. It's amazing. But at the same time, we don't, we in the fire service are, are really playing like the infinite game We're our game is to stay in it as long as possible. Like we don't really win a fire or win, a, you know what I mean? Like there isn't right. a, there isn't a hard gauge for that. And so it's our, our mindset, I feel like needs to shift to that infinite game, keeping our bodies ready to perform, being able to adapt and, and, uh, make changes and adjustments to whatever the environment's throwing at us. And I feel like what you had mentioned, the heavy loads over long distance, you know, that's, that's what we do. 
But at the same time, we also need to be able to perform at a moment's notice and make a change and an adaptation. So that was good how you talked about that. Um, yeah, man, same here. I'm not going to, I'm never going to bash anybody who's like in the gym doing stuff. Um, and, and the guys who want to do CrossFit and stuff and really want to get their numbers in and this and that is great. But our goal isn't the CrossFit games, like you were saying, you know, our goal is to make sure that we're able to perform out in the field without getting injured. So being able to perform a whole lot of deadlifts in a certain amount of time isn't particularly what we're going for. But the fact that we can perform that movement, that we can perform that with a strength component uh, and be able to endure over a long period of time is, is the key. So I like how you brought that up. Um, you talked about the sandbags, <clears throat> excuse me, you talked about the sandbags and that's a great element. That's a great tool because it's cumbersome. You know, it's not, it's not something that's a clean, a clean movement all the time. And we have to, you, using something like that, we have to make our body the, you know, uh, the clean movement machine, if you will. Like <laughs> it's going to require all these stabilizers, you know, carrying that around is not going to be an, 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 an equal load per se. So it's great that it's engaging a lot more of our core. It's engaging a lot more of just the, the things that we wouldn't necessarily do if we hop on a, an isometric machine and, and work that one thing, you know, over and over again. So that was awesome. Um, I did read a study. Who was I? I was listening to uh, Don Saladino and he's like a, a trainer for like all the, all the guys going into Marvel films. And, uh, I was actually able to be in one of his cohorts with uh, Sebastian Stan from the guy who played the Winter Soldier. And we were in a cohort together. And he said that one of the greatest things that he has his clients do, and this is like Ryan Reynolds, who you know plays Deadpool and all of this, um, is the farmer carry. And like you said, you know, the carry is a great tool. It's a great exercise. It activates all your stabilizers. Um, and, and the goal and the ability to, to carry that heavy load over a long distance is just reinforced with that farmer carry. I mean, we have a lot of different tools that we carry. We have a lot of gear that that's loading us down and uh, in the fire service. And I'm sure you're aware in the fire service, we talk about how back injuries are the number one thing that cause us to medical out. And so all of these core stabilizers and all of these things that help us lift appropriately and, and, hone in those mechanics are just crucial for what it is we're trying to do. Um, I liked how you talk about feedback because honestly, that's really how you're going to improve, right? I mean, you have to get some kind of feedback to see where you're at and to see if you're meeting the need or meeting your goal. And then you can make adjustments from there. So that was really awesome too. Um, before we, I was going to ask you what you're like, you mentioned your one hour workout. I was going to ask you what your one hour template looked like, but before we jump in any of that, is there anything else you wanted to add in regards to the things that we were just talking about or? Well, as you mentioned it, farmer carries, um, I cannot undersell those enough as you were talking about. And I really use a, a lot of sandbags, as I said, a ton of sandbags, but also kettlebells and yeah. the farmer carry, you know, it's not just having two equal weights in two hands and carrying it for as long as you can. You can right. get so creative. And I try to, with the farmer carry, you can do, I recommend, and I, I program a lot of times uneven weight, yeah, so an offset. Un, uneven weights, 
and even just single-handed carries. And you can carry one down at your side, like a traditional farmer carry and another one is high. So that's called a high, low carry. So one is up and one is down. You you can have to carry so many different type of objects as a tactical athlete, especially on the fire ground. Yeah. Rarely are you carrying two equal weights on either side of your body. Right. So, so there's one arm just walking resistance, you know, high and low one arm up, one arm down. There's so many things you can do for a farmer carry and one more carry. That's not a farmer carry that I really recommend is it's called like a bear hug carry or a zercher carry. Some people oh, call yeah. it that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sandbags are great for those. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a lot of times I'll use an Atlas stone. Um, oh, I, yeah. I have a sandbag that just round like a ball and, but, uh, but you can do it with any sandbag is you, you grab it and you walk it, or you can even cradle it kind of in the, in the crease of your arm, like a curl, but it, but yeah. it's just kind of cradled like a log. You can carry yeah. that Well, walking while supporting that kind of load a lot of people can brace their core. Like you're talking about as well, having a strong core. A lot of people can brace their core for like 10 reps, you know, five reps or take a breath. And, but being able to brace your core for a long distance and breathe while you're bracing your core, that's something that we need to practice. And you can really only simulate that through, through like some of those carries where you're, you're braced and protecting your back. And now you have to walk for quite a while and continue to breathe and maintain that. So definitely you had mentioned farmer carries. Those are, those are so huge. And, and again, yeah. I like, I like to use sandbags to help accomplish some of that. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then even if you, even if you're, if you got access to the gym, those big old medicine balls, like you were talking about, those are great. Like you can carry one under your hip, up on your shoulder, like the cradle carry, like you were talking about. But uh, yeah, man, I, I can't stress those enough. I mean, it really helps hunker down and lock in your, your core your stability and your joints, all of that stuff. So it put, it's like, it's putting that just enough of a load on your joints to help like build them up. You know what I mean? It's it's interesting. It's amazing. Uh, I had uh, a time where I was training several older patients and um, joint health was a big deal. And just by putting on that small amount of load, it helped activate that joint stability and it would build those those small stabilizers around each of our joints. So when they were just walking around or living life, however they want, their their joints weren't bugging them nearly as much as they were when, you know, it was loose and they weren't stable and it was like bone rubbing on bone and cartilage and it was getting all destroyed. But as we put that little bit of load on there, it actually helps build it up and helps shore up our our actual joints and so that we don't have that liability when it comes to lifting and movement and mobility and all of that stuff. So that's really great, man. So give us like a one hour template of like sure. what, what your, your workout would look like. All right. So, uh, usually most of the workouts, so they're all in an hour and what I do to make sure that happens. And this comes from whether it's just you knowing that you're going to go to the gym for an hour, you're going to be in and out. You can tell if you're at home, you could tell your family, it's going to be, I'm going to be there for an hour. You know, you're not lollygagging, but also when in leading PT, I found a lot of the workouts, like people just kind of, it's tough, right? You got a lot of people and they kind of linger and talk. And you're like looking at your watch as the leader or the person who's in charge of the work that day going, Oh my gosh, we're here. Like this is like an hour and a half and we're not even, we got to get yeah. moving. Right. So, so what I do is I use something that I learned from garage gym athlete. Um, that's, I took some coaching and, and training, uh, courses through them, but it's called block training. So 
the blocks are to train in an hour. So five training blocks make an hour. So each block, 10 minutes. So, and that, and that gives you 10 extra minutes, right? Cause that's five blocks is 50. You got 10 minutes to give you time to change up and get ready for the next thing or whatever. But so if I, if I build the program with five blocks with 50 minutes of work, it's going to take 60 minutes usually. Nice. And it's amazing. It's pretty, pretty close to on the dot most times. So, so with that, um, like as, as a sample, as an example, you know, so I'll go one block of a warm up, and a warm up will be if it's a squatting day, it'll be pertinent to that. And I usually always incorporate core into the warm up. So, for example, uh, on a squatting day, it could be like some kind of a flow to get the blood going, you know, something a flow um, on a squat day, like overhead squats with just your body weight, um, some kettlebell swings to get your heart rate up. Um, so, but just going to spend 10 minutes on a warm up, And, and again, those I'm choosing those, those specific movements to prep for the movement that we're going to be doing in the workout that we're going to be doing that day. And then on some, and then it's usually the strength after that. So right after we're warmed up, if it's a strength training day, then we'll get into the strength work. And, and if, for example, what we're doing right now is summertime. So it's kettlebell work. I use a lot of every minute on the minute workouts also to mm. keep myself yeah. going going on pace and to keep the team moving, uh, or the crew on, on the same pace. So, you know, it can be overhead, you know, an example, like overhead squats with one kettlebell and you're just really focusing on flexibility. So we're going to work, you know, something like that for 20 minutes. And then we can spend another 10 minutes. If I want to sprinkle in some conditioning and, and the conditioning would be balanced out. If, if, if we haven't done anything hard and fast that week, we'll do that. But if we've already done that, we'll do something a little more steady, uh, maybe carrying a load. And then, um, and then most days to finish it off, like to have some kind of a functional circuit, like you and I were talking about farmer carries sled pushes, sled drags, or just taking time at the end to reinforce some movements that we've done. Um, so every day though, um, would be some kind of a warm up, And if it's strength work, to be done, we're going to do strength work and then some kind of conditioning. And they all are, are everything. The whole program is built around the strength. So it, it, it's really around that. And then everything else kind of get, gets put together to reinforce that and to build our conditioning. Right. To reinforce or prep for that work. That's great, man. Yeah. I typically, uh, I like the quality over quantity any day. I know there's some, some guys who like to, they're like, Oh, I spent three hours in the gym and it's like, yeah, okay. But were you working your mandible? Or were you working right. what you should have been working? Like, <laughs> are you working your right. text thumbs or what? <laughs> but yeah, man, focus and that quality over quantity is, is incredible because you should be spending a good quality amount of time on your fitness. But at the same time, you know, we have families, we have other responsibilities that we need to do. So we've got to make sure that we're, we're maintaining that balance. That's awesome, dude. Your, your programming sounds somewhat similar to mine. Cause I typically do an hour at the gym as well. And I'll, I'll start with like a, like a six minute warm up or an activation set. And then I'll do like a 40, 35 to 40 minute strength training session built on like either an upper body push an upper body pull, a lower body pull or a lower body push engaging core and all of that. And then I'll do like a, I'll finish out with like a circuit cardio and, uh, and then I'll finish out ultimately with stretching for like six to 10 minutes, but that's good, man. I like that, that block training idea. It really, uh, really helps keep you like on 
track, like on task. You know, you can, you can set, you can even set like your watch timer and just do the thing until it exactly. goes, you know, until and the that, timer tells you. And like you said, it really is about that quality. So you're, you're just saying when you really look down into the skeleton of your training and like you mentioned the same thing on yours, you're looking at, okay, I got 20 minutes to spend on squatting strength. Do yeah. you need to do how much is prescribed? No. Do you need to do that specific movement that day? If you're not feeling it or you have an injury? No, but you can spend 20 minutes thinking about, okay, I'm going to try to improve my ability to squat. I'm going to work on this for 20 minutes. And, and like you said, that quality and range of motion. And, you know, there really is just, uh, as you know, there's so much just learning to move and every day feels different than every other day. But like you mentioned uh, earlier, just going hard all the time, isn't always a, a good prescription for, for us and our job. And, and really what we're working to do is, you know, you like to work out and fitness is your jam as well, but you're, you're doing this every year forever, yeah. as long as you're working, right. You're not just doing it for a couple of seasons as you're in college or, or, you know, or for this specific event, you know, so keeping that in mind, as you said before, really that we're in this for the long haul and that we're really trying to build our bodies, not just beat them up as hard as we can every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not just going to exhaustion. And uh, I, I've witnessed some people even on duty where they're, they're just going and going and going and pushing till exhaustion. And then a structure fire kicks out or a fire kicks out and they're just toast, you know, and, and, and they can't perform. And it's like, that's great that you're, you're pushing yourself to that point, but maybe do that on your off duty day and <laughs> maybe make sure that you're like, you know, like your, your handle says prep and defend, make sure you're prepared before the demand hits. So even if you are needing to do like a workout on duty, you can hit what you need to hit without taking yourself to complete exhaustion. Because ultimately the whole reason we exist is to respond to that call, right? And make sure we're at the ready at any given moment. So it's awesome, and, man. And like you're talking there, Ryan, like so much of what you and I are talking about is us sharing with this audience, our perspectives, not just because it's our opinion, but it's stuff that we've learned, like all these right. things. It's not because I think this is the the right thing to do. I'm just trying to share with everybody. I've had it go wrong. So a lot of times where yeah. I didn't do it smartly and we weren't ready or, you know, I'm seeing people get maybe hurt or tweaks and, and stuff on yeah. workouts that I programmed. And that's not acceptable, right? You can't, we, we, you know, we're not trying, that's not our goal. We're not trying to do that. So it, it, you know, we're just sharing the perspectives of things that are, they're going to help us be durable and injury free, not just be, you know, the savage, you know, all the time. It, but, but that's really, I mean, we, you can gain that reputation. You can have that, that ability. Um, but yeah, just being smart with it. Like you said. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, right on dude. I appreciate uh, you coming on the show. This conversation has been awesome. It's been enlightening to me. I really like that idea of the block training, the the five, 10 minute blocks that you mentioned. It was awesome. I'm going to, definitely be incorporating that. But, um, before I have you give us all like of your, your social media and everything, uh, I'm a huge book reader and I'm just curious. I'm going to ask you what, what book is, are you reading right now? Or are you, what would you recommend for the audience? Yeah, Ryan. So I like, uh, myself books on tape. I have a commute. Usually right now I have an injury, um, that I got on a water sports injury off duty, but, uh, but normally I'm driving a lot. I drive quite a ways to work like an hour, hour and a half. And so I listen to a lot of audio stuff, but for sure being, um, being ever since I started leading teams or crews, just the leadership side of, of stuff is what I really try to get. So I listen to a lot of entrepreneurial stuff for, you know, helping to build some of this, 
you know, side hustle stuff that I'm passionate about and that I enjoy doing. But if I were to recommend one, it's probably been recommended a ton is uh, Jocko Wilnick, the, the leadership tactics and strategies. Oh and yeah, that's great. The, and the reason I liked that one so much for you listeners that haven't heard it is it gives you actual tips. It's not just like con- concepts. It's like, if you have a micromanaging boss, you can try these things. If you have someone working with you that you guys are just having a ton of friction, you can try this thing. You know, it's really a bunch of practical stuff. So, so I would say Jocko's uh, leadership tactics and strategies. That one was awesome. Yeah, that is great. And you brought up something else I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, you, you mentioned your injury, man. I saw just the other day you posted on your, your Instagram, you were, you know, you have your leg brace on, you're in your wheelchair and you're still doing like sled drags and stuff. And it's awesome. Um, talk a little bit about how you've had to adapt things because I understand, I mean, injuries kind of go hand in hand with what it is we do, you know, depending on our own individual uh, situation. And sometimes injuries just knock dudes down for the count, but it, it is difficult to kind of get over that, that mental setback and that physical setback, but talk a little bit about how you've been able to, to maintain a regimen during, during all that. Well, definitely. And for me, this is my first injury in 30 years, really, that's just taken me down. The only time that I've been off prior to this was scheduled or planned. This, so this is really threw me for a loop. Yeah. And, and just like you mentioned on the mental side, I've been contacted by so many other firemen and, and people on the department that they're checking in on me because they said when they were injured, it was like one of the darker times in, that they had, you know, they felt alone, yeah, they weren't at work, they sure. didn't have people around them. So I, I just have been blessed so much by them checking in with me that I haven't suffered a lot of that. And also just having things to work on. Like I have this podcast to work on, which is incredible. And the programming and people that are, you know, um, clients and, and athletes that I can talk to. And, and it gives me more time for that. So it's not like I don't have anything to do. And then on the fitness side, I've kind of just over the years, you know, like yourself, most likely. And there's a, a lot of us, a lot of the people listening, you're kind of known as maybe a fitness person at your work or whatever. So even me being injured myself was, I was still going to work out, but I just started sharing it more because people were kind of asking, Hey, how are you going to do the workouts and this and this and that I follow a program, which is, you know, and so it's, it's easy for me each day to see how I'm going to. And so, so that day I'm going to try to do the workout, whatever I can. And so a lot of it is, you know, squatting and lunges. Of course, I'm not going to be able to do that, but I'm going to do the best I can to make it a squatting day. Like you and I talked about with my injury, I have 20 minutes to get better at squatting on my good leg or, you know, whatever I can do. I use a lot of rubber bands, um, you know, just kind of trying to make it work. And, and, but I still get in that one hour training session. I'm in there at the same time. My wife is in there doing the actual workout, her and her friends, they follow the same programming. So it's, it's all level, you know, I'm in there with her and stuff too. But, um, but so for me, it's really the challenge of how can I adapt the workout for that day? And right. you saw the sled drags. I was trying to drag in a wheelchair. A friend yeah. of mine said, Hey, you should, you should show that. And then I looked on the programming and we had sled drags. Nice. I couldn't go the full distance, but we yeah. did. We hooked up the sled to the wheelchair and I tried it and see if I can do it, you know, and I could do it for a little bit. So, yeah. so that, that's it. So that's how I'm keeping busy on the injury is I'm still have a program that I follow. Um, and most people do, but if you're running, you're not gonna be able to do that. So if it's like a workout program, you could still do a lot of the workout. Um, you have to skip some things and adapt, but 
that's really what I'm doing. And, and it's been a challenge and there's other people with injuries that are, that are enjoying it. And they're like, Oh, Hey, I never thought about doing that, you know? So you yeah. know, rope, rope climbs, well, laying on your back and pulling yourself up, you yeah. know, just finding different ways to, to still do the functional stuff as well. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And that's the great thing about like social media, right? We're sharing this stuff that, that otherwise wouldn't get out there. And, and in doing that, we're helping each other build each other up and, and relate to each other and making sure that, that we kind of got each other's backs, even if it's distally. So that's, that's awesome, man. How, how crazy different did, did your core feel when you were doing those wheelchair sled pulls? <laughs> well, like I like I mentioned on that, on that video. And, and in fact, at the time it's recording, you know, I just posted it again, but Oh, it was, it was so hard to lean forward that hard in a chair yeah. and just not move from that position and just keep that tension. Oh, it, it was incredible on, on the core. And yeah, I hadn't experienced that before when I had both my legs. But, right. Uh, yeah. That's one of those interesting things that you never really would think about to do until like you're in that situation and then you adapt and then it's like a whole new world. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's fun. It's new challenges and, and it's been entertaining also, but, but it is, uh, you know, I'm still trying to keep it going and, and, you know, be a, a good example. Right on, man. Well, that you are, I appreciate you coming on my man. And, uh, do us a favor and, and share with your share with us your um, your IG handle, your social media stuff, YouTube and whatnot. No, I definitely will, and and I just wanted to thank everybody um, for listening. And you know, I didn't intend for it really to be a you know a, just me talking about my programming. I was just really wanting to share what I've learned, right? And I and I hope you guys all take that perspective. Um, but I, I do have the prep and defense show. Um, that's my podcast and the Instagram, uh, you'll find a link there, uh, for link tree for all my, all my, um, other resources, but it's going to be prep underscore and underscore defend. And then also, uh, I do the, um, venture athlete is actually my LLC and I have my, uh, we have the training programs and people can jump on, on that. You can do one training program that's specific for your needs, whether it's just the raw strength, or you can be on the team with us. And, but that's, uh, uses the train heroic app. Um, but again, that's just prep and defend training is what, is what it is. And then a prep and defend YouTube channel as well. And I have a ton of YouTube videos because of, of building the programming that we did. I had to have a lot of videos for reference. Um, and, and there's a lot of a lot of sandbag stuff because that's probably my number one thing that I would recommend to people. So a lot of sandbag workouts, a lot of just even gear reviews and stuff uh, pertinent to our line of work, but just trying to put out helpful information. Well, you're definitely doing that, man. Thanks a lot. And uh, I'll get those links in the, the show notes to all of your channels, to all of your stuff, your business, and uh, we'll definitely be connecting in the future. I appreciate you, man. And uh, until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Be the firefighter you would want on your crew. Be ignited.